everybody, it's Steve Matthews here with episode 36 of Radio Look Solicit. The title of today's episode is The COVID Con Job. You know, I've been wanting to talk some about COVID for a while, and it just, it seems like there's been so much going on. I mean, it's hard to, <laughs> it's like that, what was it, that movie a few years ago uh, called Up, you know, where the, the, the dog had that talking device, and, and uh, you know, he'd be saying something, he'd go, squirrel, you know, and it, <laughs> the news is kind of like that. It seems like there's just so much going on that it's always, always something new and something that takes my attention away from what I had, had maybe hoped to do originally. But I finally wanted to get around to talk, talking some about COVID because there's been, been some developments here this past week that I think are at least worth remarking on. You know, before I get started with that, I just want to say I hope everybody's had a great week this week. Hi to everybody on the Twitter live stream. It's, uh, well, I was going to say it's Friday, but it's actually technically it's Saturday morning. It's November the 21st uh, as I'm recording this. But I hope everybody had a good week this past week. And uh, now it's Friday. It's the weekend. So a little time to uh, have uh, have some time to, to think and, and do some things that I want to do as opposed to having to do work. You know, it always seems like there's so much work to do. I ended up working a couple hours over tonight on a Friday night. But there was method to my madness for doing that, though, because, see, I here's the good news. Even though I was working late on a Friday, I've got all next week off. So the whole week of Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm taking off, or our company's closed on Thursday and Friday, but I'm actually taking off Monday through Wednesday. And that'll be a nice vacation. That's the first I really had any time off in about three months. So I plan on definitely enjoying that time. Uh, for sure, and uh, and looking forward to it. Maybe having a chance to do an extra podcast or two in the meantime. You know, it's kind of funny whenever whenever I go on vacation, I always have all these goals, and I, I don't know if you're the same way or not. You know, I say, "Wow, you know, I've got got a whole week off. I can can get X, Y, and Z done. You know, I can lose ten pounds, or well, maybe not ten pounds, but maybe I can lose some weight. I don't know. Have a chance to exercise a little bit, or probably what I'll end up doing is probably eating more." Um, the, <laughs> than what I should and probably gaining weight. That's kind of bad for this time of year, right? Uh, that whole weight gain thing. Um, but yeah, I, I have lots of goals and uh, there's a lot of stuff I hope to get done. And if I get maybe half of it done, I, I usually am doing uh, usually doing pretty well. So anyway, um, that's that's what I had to look forward to. That's why I was working late. And that's why I'm kind of late getting into this podcast. I hate having to be up so late to do some recording, but you know, you just gotta gotta get the job done, right? Well, anyway, uh, what I wanted to do, I wanted to talk here some today about the whole, uh, the, what I call the COVID con job. And yeah, the, the whole COVID thing, it, it, it's such a frust, so frustrating. But I saw this, there was a, a hopeful sign, at least I, I live here in the state of Ohio, and I, you know, we have a governor, Mike DeWine, and I've taken a call him Lockdown DeWine because that's, that's, that's what he seems like he loves to do. Now, the thing is, Mike DeWine is actually a Republican, but he, he locks down pretty much like he's a Democrat. You know, now he's not as bad as, say, Andrew Cuomo in New York or uh, uh, Whitmer up there in, in Michigan or Gavin Newsom out in California. He's not not quite on their level, but he has done a great deal to destroy liberty and to destroy the economy of the state of Ohio. But I saw this news article on in Thursday's paper. Here's the headline. I'll just read it to you. It says, Senate Bill 311 passes Ohio House. DeWine calls it a disaster. And when you read through the article, it's, it's a fairly short article here. I'll just, I'll read through some of it myself for you here. 
Governor Mike DeWine spoke out against a bill in the Ohio legislature that would prohibit the Ohio Department of Health from issuing quarantine or isolation orders. Senate Bill 311 was passed out of committee and through the House floor Thursday. The bill specifically prohibits the Department of Health from issuing a general mandatory statewide or regional quarantine or isolation order that applies to and is enforced against individuals who have not been either directly exposed to or medically diagnosed with the disease that is the subject of the order. Now, I'm going to come back to that uh, here in just a moment, but that, that is actually a very biblical principle. Basically, what this bill is saying is you can't quarantine, you can't lock down people who aren't sick. And of course, that's the one that's the it really goes to the root, goes to the heart of the problem with the whole lockdown, quarantine, mask up um, regime that's that's present here in Ohio, that's present in really most of the United States, and also most uh, uh, a good chunk of the, the rest of the world as well. What you end up doing is, is you're, you're locking down healthy people. You're quarantining healthy people. And that, that is the direct opposite of what the Bible teaches. And I'm going to get to that, as I said, in just a minute here. Now, I want to read through another paragraph here, this is interesting. DeWine, that is the governor, said in his Thursday news conference the bill would severely limit the ability of the health department to issue orders to prevent the spread of an infectious disease. I know it's well-intentioned by the General Assembly, DeWine said, but when you look at the ramifications, this is not a bill that can become law. Now, a another one of the state representatives who has, has led on the... Uh, led to push this bill, said this, it's imperative that we as Ohio's leaders stand up for the constituents and businesses in our community, said State Representative Shane Wilkin, Republican Hillsborough. Senate Bill 311 is similar to House Bill 621, which was passed out of the House yesterday because it protects Ohioans and gives them the freedoms they deserve. Ohioans deserve more bills like this. I agree. And that is why I was proud to vote to pass Senate Bill 311 out of committee today. I look forward to voting to pass Senate Bill 311 out of the House later this afternoon. The legislation also allows the General Assembly to adopt a concurrent resolution to rescind certain Ohio Department of Health orders or rules for preventing the spread of contagious or infectious diseases. Now, there's a lot of good stuff in here. I really like what I hear. And I think it's interesting going back to what you know, DeWine had to say, Governor DeWine had to say. He said that in, you know, in the Thursday news conference, the bill would severely limit the ability of the health department to issue orders to prevent the spread of an infectious disease. That's right, Governor DeWine. It specifically is designed to, pro to, pro to prohibit you ordering people around. And this is the thing that just drives me nuts, makes me just want to scream about the whole lockdown regime. This is all about governors barking orders at people. Well, the last time I checked, governors are not Pharaoh. You know, I didn't vote for a Caesar a few years ago when I voted for Mike DeWine. I wish I had not voted for Mike DeWine. I think he's done more damage to the state of Ohio than all the other governors put together. Uh, I really seriously wish I had not voted for him, and I very much regret that. And not not just for the COVID thing, but for other things, but maybe most and especially for the whole the COVID lockdown. He's destroying liberty, and, and he's destroying the economy uh, of the people of the state of Ohio. And, and that is, that is a, a very serious problem. And he's completely unrepentant about it. I mean, if it were up to him, I think he probably would lock us down, just like Whitmore or Cuomo or, or Gavin Newsom. I think he would do that, but I, I don't think he can get away with that in Ohio. 
At least he doesn't seem to think he can, apparently. But I, I think he very much would probably like to do that because he doesn't seem, I mean, there's no end to this stuff. And he just keeps cranking it down harder and harder and harder. You know, and yes, he does need to be prevented from ordering people around. You know, I don't know where he gets off with this idea that he can just sit up there and, and act like a pharaoh. But that's what he does. And I'm glad that the Ohio State Legislature is, uh, the General Assembly is, is taking some action to clip his wings. The, uh, in fact, it was later on Thursday that the Ohio Senate did pass that bill. And I think, I'm not completely clear on this, but I, I believe it's supposed to go to his desk next where uh, he's going to veto it. He's already promised that. And I'm sure that he will. But then it goes back to the House. And if the House can, can the House can override his veto. The Ohio House can. And, and I really hope that that happens. And this is actually some good news because it, it just seems like, you know, the governors are just acting, um, they're just out of control, and, and I'm glad to see that the Ohio General Assembly is asserting itself in this and, and doing some work to, uh, to open up Ohio and to, uh, to fight for the freedom of Ohioans to be able to just live their lives. Now, kind of looking at, at a few things here, you know, I mentioned that the, the idea that the biblical idea is, the biblical principle is that you quarantine sick people. You don't quarantine healthy people. Now, how do I know that? Well, just look. Look, You might be surprised at this. A lot of people don't really think about necessarily about the Bible having much to say about uh, sickness or disease or how you handle that. You have to pardon me why I get a drink of water here. Last week I had some coffee, but it's kind of late night and I don't really want to be drinking coffee. So I got some, some ice water here. That's good. That's a, and this is actually one of my favorite cups too. It's like, it's an insulated mug. It's actually an insulated coffee mug, but it works pretty well for water too. And the nice thing about it is, is it doesn't sweat. So you, you put ice in it and, and keeps the water nice and cold and it stays cold and it doesn't sweat and run all over the desk. So anyway, that's one of my favorite mugs. So you say it's a coffee mug, but it works nice for water too. Anyway, um, back to what I was talking about. The, the biblical principle is that you quarantine sick people only sick people and not healthy people. Now, where do you find that? Well, if you look in Leviticus, and in particular, you look at chapter 13. Now, I'm not going to go and, and read through the chapter word for word, but you can look at it yourself. But one of the things you see, what, what, what it discusses in, in that chapter is the, the process of diagnosing lepers. Now, leprosy was a very serious disease back in the Old Testament times. And, and of course, if, if you were, were diagnosed with, lep with leprosy, you were put outside of the camp. In other words, you were quarantined. But before you were quarantined, before anybody was quarantined as a leper, the, there was actually a very detailed uh, process by which somebody was diagnosed. And, and the person had to show himself to the priest, and, and the priest would examine him. And, and depending on the the potential type of leprosy, there were different procedures that they would follow, but it, it would take a while. It wasn't something where you would just go and say, oh, you're a leper and, and, and you got to go outside the camp. I mean, it was actually a process and it, it took a little while to go through this. And if somebody was determined to be a leper, then they were put outside the camp. They were quarantined, but there was never any attempt to uh, lock down all of Israel to prevent the spread of leprosy. That didn't exist. And that's a really important principle. I, I, I don't think that can be emphasized enough. And here's why. 
Yeah, I, I have a simple mind, and, and I like simple ideas. Now, sometimes when you, you go and you, you read the news, and you hear a lot of stuff people talking about, well, we're going to follow the science. And, and science is a great thing. I'm, I don't wanna, I'm not here trying to diss science. Science is a great thing, but science does not furnish us with knowledge. The most that science can do is is to provide opinions. And there are the opinions, as you're probably well aware, if you read things in the news media, maybe you you, you go online or you watch the news or or what have you, wherever you get your news from, there's a lot of, of different opinions. You know, masks work, masks don't work. Lockdowns work, lockdowns don't work. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole thing with masks, remember back very early in the whole COVID thing, this was back in maybe February or March. Oh, you don't need to wear a mask. You know, don't, don't buy those masks. Don't put a big run on a mask and, and take them from the people who really need them, you know, the frontline health workers. And now all of a sudden here, we, you know, it was a few months later, then all of a sudden, hey, not only should you wear a mask, we're going to make you wear a mask. So, I mean, there, there's real inconsistency in what so-called science is telling us to do. Science does not furnish us with truth. You know, it's a, it's, it can be very confusing if we just try to look at the science. But if we look at what the scriptures teach, you know, and I'm a scripturalist, you know, I believe that the, the Bible alone is the word of God, and that, it ha- and that the Bible, the scriptures, the 66 books of the Bible, have a systematic monopoly on truth. When we look at, like I say, when we look at Scripture, what we see is that principle that you you quarantine sick people only. That that principle of quarantining the sick is really a parallel idea to what the Bible teaches about criminal justice. And and these two things are related. You know, the what the Bible teaches about criminal justice is that you punish the guilty and you leave the innocent alone. You know, when when we're talking about dealing with uh, with uh, Quarantining people or dealing with disease outbreaks, the Bible says you quarantine the sick, you leave the healthy alone. You punish the guilty when it comes to criminal justice, and you leave the innocent alone. Now, there, there are two basic approaches to criminal justice. There's crime punishment and crime prevention. Crime punishment is the, the biblical method. You don't assume that everyone is guilty. You assume someone is innocent until they're proven guilty, and then you punish them. So the punishment falls only on those people who are guilty. You know, thieves are punished for the thievery. Murderers are punished for the murderers, for the for their murderers. But what you don't do is you don't try to engage in crime prevention. See, crime punishment is about punishing crime after the fact. Prime, p- crime prevention, as the name suggests, is about attempting to prevent future crime by punishing everybody now. So when you engage in crime prevention, you're punishing the innocent. You know, you're punishing the innocent, which is exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches we should do. We're supposed to punish the guilty and leave the innocent alone. We're not supposed to punish the innocent with regulations that are designed to prevent them or prevent somebody from from, uh, committing a crime in the future. And so those two ideas, you, I think you, I hope you can see where they, they relate one to another. You know, with the biblical theory of quarantine, you quarantine the sick, you leave the healthy alone. With the biblical approach to criminal justice, that is crime punishment, you punish those who are guilty of committing crimes, and the innocent, you leave them alone. 
Now, the opposite of that, what the, the sort of the philosophy of the world says, that when it comes to quarantining, you gotta, you gotta quarantine the healthy along with the sick. Crime prevention says you gotta punish everybody in advance to keep them from committing crimes. And you can see the injustice in that because what you're doing is you are inflicting costs on people uh, who don't deserve to bear those costs. And, and of course, when we talk about dealing with the uh, dealing with disease outbreaks, you know, th- this good science. I mean, the idea that you you would would uh, quarantine only the sick. It's good science. It accords with the way disease outbreaks have been handled in the past. And most importantly, it's consistent with Scripture. So those are, are three things that I, I, I think that you can, can take away from the idea of, uh, of what the Scriptures teach when it comes to, uh, to dealing with disease outbreaks. It's a simple idea. You quarantine the sick, you leave the healthy alone. It really doesn't get much more complicated than that, uh, or really any simpler than that, I should say. Now, as I mentioned, the lockdowns represent the application of the unbiblical regulatory state to public health. Lockdowns are destroying liberty. They destroy jobs. They destroy small businesses and favor the rich and well-connected. I mean, this is one of the things, it's kind of interesting because, you know, there are a lot of people who claim that they're for the little guy. You know, oh, we support the little guy. Uh, you know, a lot of the uh, you know people who maybe fashion themselves as liberals, you know, they always like to claim that they're fighting for the little guy. But by fighting for the lockdowns, and generally it's the Democrats and the liberals that are pushing the lockdowns, what they're really doing is favoring the big businesses. You know, they're favoring the Walmarts. They're favoring Amazon. They're favoring these, these big national, big, uh, what do they call them, uh, big box type of companies. And they're destroying the small retailers, the small businessmen. Because those shops are closed, but you know you can go and you you can buy all that you want from Walmart or or from Amazon, and the profitability of those companies is shot through the roof. I saw something where the the net worth of I think America's billionaires had gone up by something like twenty five percent during the whole COVID crisis. I mean, there are all millions of people in the United States that are suffering very very badly, while you have people who are already fantastically rich getting even richer. Because of the policies of lockdowns. So, I mean, even the burden of the lockdowns are not borne evenly. And it's usually the people who have have the least that suffer the most. I think about our governor, Mike DeWine. I, I, looked, up, I looked this up a few months ago, and I, I found that back in 2006, so this is going back 14 years, that Mike DeWine had a net worth of something like $60 million. So he was a very wealthy man. And that was 14 years ago. Now, I think if we went back and we looked at his net worth today, I, I don't know what it is here in 2020. But it's probably reasonably reasonable to suppose it's probably a lot higher than that. You know, Mike DeWine doesn't have to suffer. He doesn't have to worry about losing a job as a non-essential worker. And even if he did lose his job, I mean, he's probably got money and money and on top of money, uh, more money than he could ever need or ever spend. Now, I, I'm not I'm not mentioning this because I think it's wrong for a man to be wealthy. Now, I'm a capitalist. I believe in free enterprise, and and I don't object to someone if he has money. But I don't think it's asking too much for somebody who has a lot of money 
to consider the effect of his policies on people who don't. And he doesn't really seem terribly worried about that. And, and I, I, I have, uh, I'm troubled by that. I find that's, that's a big problem. Now, Here's something else I wanted to mention, too. There was an interesting comment. This this came from Scott Atlas. Now, Scott Atlas is President Trump's COVID advisor, and he tweeted out earlier in the week, he, he said this. He said, uh, he said, the only way it stops is if people rise up. You get what you accept. Now, he took a lot of heat from that, which I think is unfortunate because what he said is absolutely right. The only way this stops, that is all the COVID lockdowns and regulations and all this other nonsense that we're all suffering with, the only way that stuff stops is people to say enough. We're just not going to go along with this anymore. Now, we're not going to submit to this. Now, I'm going to come back. I want to talk a little bit about that in just a minute because I know that that can create some some issues for Christians. You know, the idea of civil disobedience. I mean, you know, aren't Christians supposed to obey the authorities? I mean, we're told that, right? Well, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But I really did like what Scott Atlas had to say. It, he, The uh, former basketball coach, I, I think it was, I think it was Bob Knight. He used to coach basketball for he's a pretty well-known college basketball coach for Indiana. And and he used to say something along the lines of what Scott Atlas said. He said, in life, you, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you put up with. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And and one of the things that I've been been very frustrated with is the way that, that most Americans seem to be willing to put up with complete nonsense out of their uh, out of the civil magistrates, out of their governors, out of their senators, uh, even out of President Trump to some extent, um, it's been very frustrating to watch this. And in this stuff, it it needs to stop. This stuff needs to come to an end. We need to get rid of the lockdowns. We need to get rid of the masks, and we need to get back to living normally. There was a, a really good article that I saw. Oh, it was. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. The uh, it was a uh, it was a story and it had a headline. It was called "The Greatest Hoax Ever Perpetrated on an Unsuspecting Public," and it was uh, the comments actually by a gentleman. He is a uh, Canadian epidemiologist. Let me see if I can get that article here. Yeah. You know, it's funny how sometimes I thought that I had this stuff all nice and laid out for myself, and then I find out, no, you don't have it. Oh, good grief. What do we got here? Okay, yeah, here it is. Top pathologist claims coronavirus is the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on an unsuspecting public. Why am I not seeing that? <sighs> anyway, you know what? I, I use Evernote for my uh, uh, for my notes, and they went and they did something kind of crazy with the. Uh, they changed the program, and, and and I'm sure that I'll get used to it, but I'm still not used to it yet, and I used to know where everything was, and now I can't find anything. So, okay, so here we go. Yeah, top pathologist claims coronavirus is the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on an unsuspecting public. He says masks are utterly useless. So here's a gentleman. This is actually published in Summit News. And I'll just read a little bit of this here. Top pathologist Dr. Roger Hodkinson 
told government officials in Alberta during a Zoom conference that the current coronavirus crisis is the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on an unsuspecting public. Hodkinson's comments were made during a discussion involving the Community and Public Services Committee, and the clip was subsequently uploaded to YouTube. Noting that he was also an expert in virology, Hodkinson pointed out that his role as CEO of a biotech company that manufactures COVID tests means I might know a little bit about all this. There is utterly unfounded public hysteria, and this is Hodkinson talking, quote, There is utterly unfounded public hysteria driven by the media and politicians. It's outrageous. This is the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on unsuspecting public, end quote. The doctor said that nothing could be done to stop the spread of the virus besides protecting older, more vulnerable people, and that the whole situation represented politics playing medicine, and that's a very dangerous game. Yes, and, and I agree fully with that. You know, the... There's really nothing that can be done to stop the spread of the virus. Social distancing doesn't do it. Wearing masks doesn't do it. And, and he talks about that some in the article here. And I, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to include this article in the show notes so you can take a look at it for yourself. But he has some some very good things to say here. And he even questions the the unreliability of the PCR test, noting that positive test results do not underline the neon mean a clinical infection. And that all tests should stop because the false numbers are driving public hysteria. So, so yeah, I, I think that those are all very good points. You know, one of the the things that that I think is so dishonest about all the reporting that's done on COVID, and Dr. Ron Paul has done a really just a great job pointing this out, is the misuse of the term case. The way that it's being reported is every time somebody tests positive, comes back with a positive COVID test, that is considered a case. And so you've got this explosion in cases. Some people are calling it a case-demic, in fact. Rather than a pandemic, they call it a case-demic. And that's not really what a case, well, that isn't what a case means. Medically speaking, what a case is, is if somebody is actually exhibiting symptoms. So if somebody, you know, the, the proper use of the term case with respect to COVID is somebody who is exhibiting the symptoms of COVID, not merely a positive test. You can get a positive test and be right as rain. And there are many, many people who have reported this. And there are various reasons for that. But the simple fact is just because you get a positive test, that is not a case of coronavirus. It's not a case of COVID-19. But that's the way it's being reported. That's the way the numbers are being uh, being recorded. That's the way it's being reported out. And so everybody thinks that that everybody on the planet's got COVID. Or if they don't have it today, they're going to probably have it tomorrow. And, and who knows, they might be dead by by Monday. And... Notice what they're not reporting. They don't report deaths. Because death, the death numbers, the official death numbers are way, 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 way down and continue to stay way down. And and even the death numbers that have been reported are very, uh, I would be very skeptical about the death numbers simply because, you know, there's there are a lot of monetary incentives for hospitals to report hospitalizations of, with COVID and there's a there are incentives also for reporting uh, deaths from COVID, but one of the important distinctions, and you know, again, Ron Paul has talked extensively about this and others, but I know if, I've listened to Ron Paul quite a bit on this, is he makes a distinction between dying of COVID and dying with COVID. In other words, a lot of the people who have died of COVID, a lot of the people, you know, what do they quote, 260,000 deaths or something like this. A lot of the people that have died, in fact, even the vast majority of the people who have died, have died 
with what are called comorbidities. So, okay, they had COVID, but they also had other serious health problems. You know, maybe they had cancer, maybe they had heart disease, maybe they were severely overweight, or maybe they had other, um, other types of, of health problems. Maybe they were just old. You know, there are a lot of people who have, have died have been actually fairly old. And, and, you know, those are people that are susceptible to all kinds of diseases. I mean, oddly enough, and, and this is going to come as a surprise to a lot of people, but, but George Floyd, you remember the, uh, the man who, who died in police custody in Minneapolis and set off all the, all the riots, he actually tested positive for COVID. I mean, everybody says, you know, that, that he was, was killed by the Minneapolis cops. I'm not convinced that that was the case. I think there's a very good chance he probably died of a drug overdose. But I'm not going to, I don't want to go too far down that, that route here today. Maybe we can uh, do that in a separate program. But he also tested positive for COVID. So, I mean, did, did he count as a COVID death? Well, I mean, if you apply the same principles to him as you would to, to other people, well, you know, yeah. Yeah, he probably did. And but I mean, I mean, if you did that, people would be outraged if you were to say that. But that is is the way COVID deaths are being reported generally. If somebody has lots of different factors that go into uh, to their passing away, the the blame for that is being put on COVID. You know, so and so died of COVID. No matter how other you know what other severe health health uh, problems he may have had. Now, I mentioned to you that the, the whole Christian idea, and I mentioned, of course, you know, Scott Atlas said, well, you know, you, you kind of get what you put up with. And he said, and, and people need to rise up. People need to push back. And if there's going to be any really effective pushback on, on this whole covetization of the world, this whole lockdown, mask up tyranny that we're all facing, if there's going to be any effective pushback on this, it's really going to have to come from Christians. Christians are the ones who are best positioned, who have the best tools to be able to push back on this stuff. I mean, we've already discussed that the scriptures are on the side of liberty and against lockdowns. And again, it goes back to that very simple principle. You quarantine sick people, not healthy people. That's the biblical principle. And if we understand that, it becomes very easy to see that all of these lockdowns, all of these quarantines, all of these curfews, all of this stupid stuff. You know, I mean, you, you, you see some of the things these governors are doing. They're trying to, to cancel Thanksgiving. They're trying to cancel Christmas. And, of course, you know, when they, when they do that, when they issue these diktats, it doesn't apply to them. You know, there was this great thing um, – it was a segment that Tucker Carlson did earlier this week where he was talking about Gavin Newsom out there in California. And Gavin Newsom has issued some very, uh, really tyrannical, very onerous restrictions on, on Californians. And then there was this photo came out of him having this dinner at this incredibly expensive restaurant. It's called what the French laundry. I think it's up in the San Francisco area. I heard that it was something like a $500 plate restaurant. I, I don't know if that's true or not. It wouldn't surprise me because it's a uh, apparently it's a very famous, uh, very expensive, very 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 pricey place to eat. So that's probably not that's probably not uh, unreasonable to say it's five hundred dollars a plate. But even if it wasn't that, it's a lot of money. And there were all these people. They were gathered around a table. None of them had masks on, and they were violating. I don't know how many rules that, that Governor Andrew 
that uh, Governor Gavin Newsom had issued, you know, for all the little people to obey, but those rules don't apply to him. You know, and of course, we've seen this with other people. You know, Nancy Pelosi has done something like that too, right? I mean, she got busted trying to go into a hair salon when she wasn't supposed to be doing that according to all the rules that were passed. You know, Lori Lightfoot, I think she's the, the mayor up there in Chicago. She got busted for having her hair done. She says, well, I'm the face of Chicago. I mean, these people, these rules don't apply to them. They just apply to the little people, you know, you and me. You know, this is the kind of stuff that Jesus talked about. You know, remember that when the uh, the disciples, they were, they were arguing and fighting amongst each other, saying, who's the greatest? And what did Jesus tell them? You know, he told them that, you know, the leadership doesn't come through. He told them, you know, the rules of the Gentiles uh, exercise lordship over them. You know, in other words, you know, the rulers in the world, you know, they were very arrogant, and, and they, they essentially lorded it over them. You could actually translate the, the Greek verb there as lorded it over people. You know, Jesus said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, but it's not supposed to be that way among you. You know, let he who is eldest be as him who serves. You know, and it was in, in that passage, it's a wonderful passage because it, it, it gives us a picture of what, of the mind of Christ on what it means to, uh, to be in a position of authority. You know, whether that's a position of authority in a home, in a church, or whether you're a civil governor, uh, maybe if you work in, in business and you're a manager or a business leader of some sort, it's a great picture of what people in, in those positions of authority are supposed to do. And the Christian approach to, um, to leadership is very different from what the world teaches. And what you see in guys like Gavin Newsom, with Lori Lightfoot, uh, that that governor up there in Michigan, uh, was it uh, Whit? I can't remember her first name. Was it Megan? That doesn't sound right. Uh, but anyway, her last name is Whitmer. Whitmer, and you know, and she's issued all kinds of dictates to to people, and they can't do this, they can't do that. But I think her husband has gone out and done um, done the very things that everybody else is prohibited doing. I'd say Governor Whitmer is also a very good example of what we call the the monstrous regiment of women. <laughs> That's another thing. Uh, we could go down that uh, that path, but I don't have a lot of time today to do that, and, and I want to kind of stay focused on the whole COVID thing. But you just see this arrogance out of these people. So, I mean, they have absolutely no compassion on the people they're supposed to be governing while they themselves continue to enjoy the high life. And it's it's a disgusting show of just arrogance and hypocrisy. And Christians need to push back on this stuff. Now, one of the things that's, that's that's prohibitive for some Christians is they they oftentimes they cite Romans thir- Romans thirteen one. That's where it says, "Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities." And it goes on to talk about you know, there's no authority except from God, and those who are in authority are put there by God, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, that's definitely in the Bible. So it definitely says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. But what I would, would ask you, I mean, if you're someone maybe who, who struggles a little bit with that, and, and, and how, does, how do we reconcile a passage like that with the idea of, of civil disobedience for Christians? You know, can Christians actually in good conscience engage in civil disobedience? You know, if the government, you know, if the governor says jump, you know, is your only response always 100% of the time supposed to be how high, sir? Well, I would argue that the answer to that question is no. No, it doesn't. It, it, that, that's not the case. And, and I think that's actually pretty easily proven. And if you think about it, there are plenty of examples in Scripture that, that undermine this idea that 
government, civil, that civil government is an absolute authority and that we are obligated as Christians to obey everything that civil governors say. We're not. Let's think about this. Remember when, uh, when Peter and John were out preaching, you know, it was after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, and they were out in the temple preaching, and they got busted. You know, they got, they got hauled in before the Sanhedrin, and they sternly warned them not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And so what did Peter and John do? Well, they went right back to doing what they were doing before. They were out there in the temple, and they were preaching and teaching and healing and doing all this stuff, and they got busted again. You know, they sent the, 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 the soldiers out, and they brought them before the Sanhedrin the second time. And you might remember what the Sanhedrin said to them. Uh, you know, this, this was the Jewish ruling council, and, and the Sanhedrin told them, did we not strictly warn you not to go around, uh, not to go around and, and preach in the name of, of Jesus? You know, and look, you've gone, you've filled all of Jerusalem with his teaching. And you remember the response that the apostles gave. Uh, you probably do. You, you probably already know what I'm going to say. This is what they said. They said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So, I mean, the civil authorities, as were represented by the Sanhedrin, were telling them to not preach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We're doing the right thing, and we're going to keep doing this. Now, I mean, if, if that Romans 13 passage there that says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, if that was applicable everywhere, all the time, and every time a governor, uh, a civil magistrate told you to do something and you had to do it, well, then what Peter and John should have done is they should have apologized to the Sanhedrin for their law-breaking, forgot about trying to evangelize the name of Christ, and gone back to their nets and fishes. That's what they should have done if Romans 13.1 applied in that situation, but it doesn't. The The Bottom line is, is that civil government is a legitimate authority, but it is not an unlimited authority. Civil governors, civil magistrates have their authority delegated to them by God to do certain things, and that is to punish those who practice evil and to reward the good. Now, if the civil magistrate fails to do his job, if the, if the civil magistrate doesn't punish evil, and in fact turns around and punishes the good and tries to pass laws that prevent people from doing good, that's when the Christian has an obligation to stand up and say, enough, we're not going along with this. Here's a few more examples for you. Think about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, you know, the, the three young Hebrew men who, you know, they're out there in Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar issued that order and he says, you know, at the sound of the Psalter and the harp, et cetera, et cetera, everybody needs to fall down and worship this big golden image that I set up. And if you don't do it, really bad stuff's going to happen to you. Uh, okay, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's, that's basically what Nebuchadnezzar told them. And everybody fell down except for these, these three young men. And, and the uh, Nebuchadnezzar got very angry. And he tossed them in a fiery furnace, but, but the Lord delivered them out of that. Now, again, if, if we take that Romans 13, 1 passage, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, if we take that as an absolute, in every case, everywhere, uh, applying verse, well, then again, the three young Hebrew men did the wrong thing. They should have apologized 
to Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar gave him a chance to recant because he, he liked them, apparently. You know, they were, were promising young men and, and uh, fairly high up in his government, even at that point. And he says, you know, if, you know he, when he, they brought him before Nebuchadnezzar, he says, well, if you bow down, you know, well, very well, and, you know, I'll forget this stuff ever happened and we'll, we'll go on. And they refused him a second time. And that's when he decided to toss him in the furnace. But again, this is an example of believers, you know, Christians. Okay, so the you know we're we're going back into the Old Testament, but they, these these were these were young men who believed in the Lord. You know, we'd say they were Christians today, and they uh, they they disobeyed the civil government. They engaged in civil disobedience. You think of another example, and this is from the book of Daniel, when they, I think it was when the Persians had, had come and taken over Babylon, and you know, some of these, some of Daniel's enemies had you know, prevailed upon the king, kind of tricked the king, I guess it was Darius, they tricked him into um, you know, issuing a decree, making it illegal to pray to any other god um, for 30 days or something like this. And Daniel just went about his business, and he uh, went up in his window and he prayed every day and he just kept doing it even after the law had been passed. And then he was arrested and he was thrown into the lion's den. And, and you know the how that went. Of course, God delivered him uh, from the lion's den. But if, you know, again, if, if Romans 13.1 is an absolute verse, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, Daniel was wrong. You know, Daniel should have stopped praying and should have obeyed the law. But we know that he didn't do the wrong thing. We know what he did was right because God delivered him. Or think of another example here. Think about, this is from Exodus chapter 1. Think about the Hebrew midwives who refused to kill the male children. You know, there was a, a rule that Pharaoh passed, a law, you know, that they were supposed to, to kill, the, kill the male children. But these, these midwives didn't do it. And they were even questioned on that, and they made up some kind of, <laughs> I don't know, they made up a sort of an excuse for why they didn't do that, but it, it, they, uh, they, they managed to prevail, and they, I, I guess apparently Pharaoh or his, his uh, ministers bought this thing, you know, bought what they told them, but they were rewarded for not killing the male children. And it even says, it says, quote, and so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them, end quote. So, you know, there's another example of civil disobedience. The Hebrew midwives would not kill the Hebrew male children. They wouldn't do it. So I hope what you can see from these examples here is is there are are plenty of uh, there's plenty of indication in Scripture that there are times not only when when Christians have the the option of standing up and uh, engaging in civil disobedience, but they actually have a requirement to do it. I mean, if if Peter and John had given into the Sanhedrin. Think about what that would have done for what would have done to the church. I mean, it would have killed the church before it even got started. You know, what if the young men had bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol, or what if Daniel had folded, or what if the Hebrew midwives had, had obeyed Pharaoh rather than fearing God? I mean, you have a very different history. So, I mean, it's it's they did the right thing, and I believe Christians at this stage also have an obligation to push back on the encroaching tyranny and the growing tyranny that we all face with, uh, with these COVID restrictions. Now, I've been very frustrated by the lack of it, honestly, from, from the Christian community. One of the few 
people who's consistently pushed back on this has been uh, been John MacArthur out of Grace Community Church in uh, in Los Angeles, and you know there have been uh, this was <laughs> this was another one I thought that I had the uh, I thought I had an article here pulled up. Mm, let's see, here's a headline: LA threatens John MacArthur and his church with fines and arrest for holding services. Oh my goodness! Yes. Seems like this uh, Evernote program is a little bit slower now with uh, with the the new and improved version of it. Yeah, I know, I know. We're supposed to embrace change, right? <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, well, let's see here. Well, it doesn't look like it wants to open, but uh, the uh, you know the main gist of the article is just that, uh, and this was from the uh, the Los Angeles Times. And it's just the idea that the, uh, you know, that somehow that John MacArthur is doing something wrong by holding church services. And you know, they hold church services every Sunday. They don't put any restrictions on people. People don't social distance. People don't mask up. And, of course, a lot of people in L.A. are freaking out about that. And there was an article that was written in the L.A. Times about this very thing. And it really got a lot of people upset. Um, and... You know the article when you read it in in, in the uh, the LA Times. Of course, it's all negative, negative, negative. You know that that John MacArthur is a very bad person, and he's doing very bad things, and he's killing people, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and it, it's just not true. And I'm glad that he's doing what he's doing. Now, I don't agree with John MacArthur on everything, and you know he's he's had some issues over the years. Um, with uh, some of his statements on the gospel. So I, I don't want to veer off too far into that lane here today, but I really do appreciate the work that he's done in, in taking a stand for liberty, for Christian liberty. It's Christ that is head of the church. It's not Caesar. And it's Christ who tells us how to worship, not Caesar. And it is Christ, it's the Bible, it's the Word of God that tells us how to deal with, with pandemics or epidemics. How to do a deal with quarantine and everything that we're being told by all the mainstream sources, whether you're talking about big government, whether you're talking about uh, big news, whether you're talking about big academics or or any of these other sort of mainstream sources, it's all 180 degrees wrong. So I'll leave you with that thought today. So I think that's about enough. I was going to actually talk about the election some today, but you know, there was so much stuff going on with COVID. I think I could go on and on. I think that's, well, I guess we're at about 45 minutes here as it is. So I think that's probably enough for, for one week's podcast. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate that. I'm going to go ahead, go ahead and get this posted to my blog, Lux Lucet. It's at Lux Lucet, L-U-X-L-U-C-E-T uh, dot M-E. That's the uh, the web address. And I also post my um, post my uh, my podcast over at uh, Thorn Crown Ministries as well. So if you get a chance, you can uh, find it at either one of those two sites. Also, you can find my podcast. You can subscribe to the feed. It's on Apple Podcasts as well, so you can get it there. Anyway, I really do appreciate you listening. And again, uh, thanks to everybody on the Twitter live stream for watching here as, as I've gone through this. I did also want to mention here, too, that on my blog, I do have a, a donation feature on there. So if you do like the work, if you get something that is, feel that this is something that's valuable to you, please consider donating as well. It'd help offset some of the costs and uh, some of the work that I do. I, I definitely appreciate uh, appreciate those donations. And so uh, please consider that. So 
I guess at this point, until next time, I'd just like to, to say, you know, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's Word. Good night, everybody.